Welcome to Alive, a Vineyard College ministry with the purpose to awaken students to their true relationship, identity, and destiny in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. We hope you enjoy this message today. And if you want to connect with us, you can follow us on Facebook at Alive Vineyard College Family or Instagram at Alive Vineyard College. Father, for the heat that he carries, for the heat he's going to bring, for the mighty deposit that's going to be made. And I pray that there, there are people here who receive Jordan in a way that gives them that reward, Lord. Open minds up, Lord God. Ensure that people aren't sleeping on what this brother brings, Lord, because this brother's going to bring something. And I pray that what he brings, we receive. And when we receive that seed, when we receive, when we receive it, y'all, it's going to be a blessing times a hundredfold. If y'all want a hundredfold blessing, say amen. amen. If y'all want a hundredfold blessing, say amen. amen. So I pray that this brother bring it and just have his way in Jesus' name. Let's go. All right. Wow. That was a good welcome. So glad to be here with you guys really quick. I got to give my phone to my wife or I'll mess with it. Nope, that's it. It's all my stuff. The pockets are empty. All right, hey, uh, my name's Jordan. I'm from Cincinnati. I'm a youth pastor. Teenagers are amazing. Um, young adults are pretty awesome, too. Um, it's a huge uh, honor and just blessing to be here with you guys. Um, before I start, I just, um, just while we were, uh, while we were worshiping, um, I, Philip, right? We, I just met you a second ago. Uh, just while we were worshiping and, and watching you lead, um, a couple, I, so first, just your passion for worship was just so clear, just so evident, just like that you just have a heart that's after the Lord, and that's amazing. And, and um, I just feel like the Lord, like as I was looking at you, I feel like the Lord said there's more in him. And I, I feel like He's, he's, he's given you thoughts and ideas and opinions. Like, there, there are things inside of you that you've kind of been hesitant to let out. And there are conversations that you, like, you feel so passionate. Like, I, I feel like even a family member that doesn't know the Lord, that you just really have a heart to see them come to Jesus. But you just, like, for whatever reason, you're like, I just want to share. But there's just been something kind of, like, holding you back. But I feel like the Lord's saying, now's the time. Just let it rip. Just let it go. And let your voice be heard. So... Father, just bless Philip, and uh, just, uh, if it was right, just let him remember it. If it wasn't, just uh, erase his memory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Diversion from my written message, part two. I felt like, uh, so there's this passage about identity that I've just been loving lately. It's in, uh, in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, it's just a couple verses. I should have bookmarked it. I'm supposed to use it later in my message, but I felt like the Lord's like just open with it. So let's get there. I still use my, uh, my table of contents, so it takes me a minute to find the passages. All right, Ephesians 1, um, 4 and 5 says this. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This was what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. This, this is just like my go-to verse right now. Anytime I'm just like feeling down or, or, or uh, just kind of like questioning my calling or whatever, I like, I go here and I read this verse. And just as we were worshiping, I felt like the Lord just really like um, just put it on my heart that something so significant about this passage is that before he created the world, his first thoughts about you were that you were his kids. And before any other identity that we take on or gets put on us, like before 
the earth existed, he thought of you and said, that's my son, that's my daughter. And that's incredible. And I love that he uses the language um, that he decided in advance to adopt us. You don't have to adopt anyone. It's a choice to adopt somebody. And his love was so great for us that he chose to adopt us. And on top of that, God doesn't just like, he wasn't like hesitant about it. He wasn't like dragging his feet about it. It says that um, it gave him great pleasure because that's what he wanted to do. And that's just good. I just love that. So um, let's just pray about that for a second. Just Father, thank you. Uh, thank you that we're your kids. Thank you that you chose us. Would you just release a greater revelation of, of sonship, daughtership to you? Show us what it means to be that first and foremost on the earth, just sons and daughters of God. Amen. All right. So I, uh, I'm a youth pastor in Cincinnati, Ohio. Anybody ever been to Cincinnati? All right. Come on. I.O. Go Bucks! Did they play today? Did they win? Probably. Um, it's what we do. Um, we're pretty good. But anyway, I say we like I was on the team. Um, so I'm in. Uh, I'm from since. Well, I'm from Dayton, but I, I work in Cincinnati as a youth pastor at Vineyard Northwest, and um, I've been there for about two and a half years now. And specifically, like Cincinnati is. Um, I mean, it's not a huge city, but it, it's kind of broken into, like, neighborhoods, and everyone kind of identifies with their neighborhoods. So even though my address is Cincinnati, I'm actually in Colerain Township. And um, something really interesting about Colerain is that they are, like, known for high school football. Um, Ohio, is, I mean, we're not like Texas or anything, but Ohio, like, high school football is a big deal in Ohio. And so we're in this town where like 20,000 plus people come to the games every week. And um, with this town specifically, they're always ranked like top 10 in the state. They're always ranked in the country. They've been to the playoffs the last 17 years in a row. Um, last year, they went to the state finals and lost to a private school. So we basically won because we're a public school. Because <laughs> we all know they recruit. But anyway, so I grew up playing football and running track and playing basketball, like love sports um, so much, such a big part of my life. And so I get this job opportunity to work at a church in Colerain, Ohio. I was like, yes, this is it. This is my, like, I'm going to have all these athletes. It's going to be incredible. They're going to get all my stories. They're like, we're, it's such an easy connection. And then I start, and I've got band kids, and drama kids, and homeschool kids. <laughs> Not a single football player. I've got a couple basketball players, but they play in homeschool league, which is basically just the Y rec league. <laughs> and it might be different out here. I don't know, but it's, it's not there. Um, and like the best athlete um, in my group is a varsity girls tennis player. And Colerain is not known for tennis. So, like, these kids just, like, they just don't get it. Um, and so, now, I, I love my kids. I love them so much. They're incredible. They're awesome. It doesn't matter. They don't play sports or anything. But it would have been nice. And, um, but a couple months ago, uh, we were starting our service, and this, like, 6'4 kid walks in. I was like, he's got it. I know it. He plays something. And uh, his friend introduces me. This kid's name's Ben. And I uh, quickly find out he plays baseball and he's a football player at Colerain. And I was like, yes. And everything, like, on the inside of me is, like, fireworks are going off. And I'm doing somersaults and I'm just so pumped. And, and he's a really great kid. And over the last couple months, I've gotten to know him a little bit as he's been coming around. Um, but maybe a month or so ago, I got a message on Instagram from Ben. And... I opened the message, 
and it's like kind of a lengthy text. And usually, like, when you get like a lengthy text from a teenager, it's especially a teenage boy, it's like not usually a good thing. And so, like, immediately I was like, oh, no, what's he about to tell me? And I start reading this text, and, and to my surprise, he had a question about identity. And I was like, okay, this is sweet. And, um, and, and basically what he asked, he said, hey, everywhere I go, whether it's school, my job, just around town, even at church, people see me as a football player, a baseball player, and an athlete. And he said, but I know that my identity is in Christ. And I'm a Christian. And just like a quick aside, there aren't a lot of 16-year-olds telling you my identity's in Christ. Like, that, that's incredible. I was like, someone's listening to my preaching, and it was great. Um, and he said, he's like, and that's all I want to be known as. I just want people to know, like, I'm a Christian and, like, a good kid, and, like, the rest of it doesn't matter. Like, this, this is who I am. How do I do that? And so, like, I was so excited. I was like, yes, what a question. That's, like, I wish all my high school kids ask questions. That's why I wanted football players. Um, and I, I, I sit there reading this message, and I'm like drawing a blank. I've got no idea what to say to him. Because I was like, yeah, how do you get everybody to know that your identity's in Christ? How do you stop people from putting other identities on you? And then it hit me. You don't. It's just not possible. It, it is impossible for everybody to recognize you the way you want them to. And as I was kind of like typing this response out to him, it, I, I felt like the Lord kind of put like the story of Jesus on my heart. Like his whole ministry, Jesus had identity after identity thrown on him. Um, at one point, he preaches a message and they're like, aren't you just the carpenter's son? Um, another time, Jesus is talking about what people are talking about about him. And uh, he says, people call me a glutton, they call me a drunkard, and they call me a friend of sinners, which I assume we can assume they're saying, well, you're hanging out with sinners, so what are you? Um, another part, I mean, there are, there are some good identities they put on him. They call him teacher, they, they call him a miracle worker, and they constantly ask, give us a sign, show us a sign, show us a sign. And he's like, I just did, didn't I? Um, they call him a prophet. Satan challenges his identity. If you're really the son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? But the thing about Jesus is his identity was totally just 100% rooted in what the Father said about him. In, uh, in Matthew chapter 3, which I did bookmark, In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus goes to get baptized, and um, I'm sure we're all fairly familiar with this passage, but it's, it's the first time um, when Jesus like hears his identity from his father, and here's what uh, Matthew 3, 16 and 17 says. It says, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Isn't that, like, that's a great identity. Like, I'll, I'll take that. And, and the thing that I always love about this is, um, you know, Jesus, at this point, he hadn't done anything, right? His ministry hadn't started. He had no miracles, no famous messages. He was the carpenter's son, so he'd probably built some tables. Um, but otherwise, he'd done nothing, and God said, this is my son, and I am pleased with him. And I just have this feeling that as identity after identity was thrown on Jesus by his enemies and even his friends, he just clung to, I'm the son of God. Because that's what my father said about me. It doesn't matter what anybody else says about me. It matters what God says about me. And so I'm like getting so hyped to text this kid back, right? Um, he, so I, I like type all that out. And, 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 and the thing that like just kind of like wrapped it all up, the key to walking in true identity is deciding which one we're going to give power to. 
Even though people put identities all over us, we actually decide which ones have the ultimate power over our lives. I've been, uh, I've been reading a book lately called um, Seven Practices of Highly Effective People. And it's like one of those books that like right when you get into college, everyone's like, oh, leadership book, you got to read it. Leadership book, you got to read it. And like a hundred people have told me to read it. Every leadership podcast you've ever listened to tells you you need to read it. And finally, I broke down and I'm starting to read it. And man, it's good. You should read it. Um, <laughs> and uh, I'm shocked at how long it is, though. You'd think seven practices of highly effective people, you know, seven or eight chapters. It's actually like 20 and it's ridiculous. Um, so get the abridged version. But um, the first habit of a highly effective person, the author says, is to be proactive. And um, as I read this chapter on being proactive, I just kind of felt like smacked in the face as I realized like I am not a proactive person at all. And the, the thing that he, said, he basically says like people tend to be one, or two, one of two things. They're either reactive or they're proactive. Reactive people allow um, external realities to impact them. Proactive people let their internal reality um, impact the external realities around them. And one of the things that I loved that he said, he said, um, reactive people change their emotions based on the weather. And I was like, man, that is so, like, literally true. Like, if it's, like, cloudy out, I'm sad. If it's sunny, I'm like, let's, let's, let's go. This is the best day of my life. Um, but then he said, proactive people carry their own weather. Right? So good. And, and, and that's the same is true with our identities. Like, we can choose which identities we're going to allow to influence us. And, and, and we don't have to take on everything that's said about us and thrown at us. We actually get to decide, no, that has no power over me. I'm who God says I am. Isn't that great? That's so good. We get to decide which ones have influence over our lives. The only problem is, if you're like me, you just learned this like a week ago. And here I am, 24, having been reactive for most of my life. And if, uh, if you're anything like me, you've, you've, you've kind of dealt with this a lot, um, people putting different identities on you. And if you're like me, you probably didn't even realize it. And you probably didn't even realize the things that you were carrying because of what others believed about you and what you ultimately start to believe about yourself. So what I'd like to do is I want to spend some time telling you about my life and my journey and identity um, and ultimately my journey to freedom. Um, so is that cool with you guys? Cool. All right. So I spent most of my time as a teenager living two totally different lives. On one hand, I was uh, the kid that was in the high school youth group every week. I never missed a small group. Um, my best friends were in my small group. Um, you know, always went to church. I was on the student leadership team. I helped lead in middle school ministry. Um, and, you know, all like picture-perfect Christian kid. But on the other hand, I was living this dark secret. The, the, the secret of a porn and sex addiction that I felt so trapped in, that I felt like no one could know about. I, I felt so scared and alone, but more than anything, I just didn't want anyone to find out. I was about 10 years old the first time I looked at porn on the computer. And um, pretty quickly I was hooked. And after a couple years, uh, my parents actually found out. I was about 12 years old when I came home from school and my dad was like, hey, we need to go talk. 
and we go out to the backyard, and, and he's like, hey, we, we saw what you're doing on the computer. Um, I don't remember the details of the conversation, but ultimately I ended up grounded, wasn't allowed on the computer for like a month, and uh, just, okay, there we go, we're done. But unfortunately, that's not how you cure a porn addiction. And so literally the first moment I was allowed back on a computer, almost against my will, like, ever, like again, like I felt stuck, trapped, didn't want anything to do with this, believed in Jesus like whole heart, but like first moment, woke up the first day of not being grounded, go right to the computer, like no control, 12 years old, go to school, come back, and uh, I get home, and my dad's home from work again, and he's never home, like right after school. And he was furious. I don't remember a ton about the conversation. I remember it was really long. Remember he yelled a lot. And I was sitting on the couch, and he was just like fuming. And the only thing I remember was he looked at me and he said, I can't believe my son's a pervert. And I didn't necessarily have this thought like, well, I guess I'm a pervert. But when my dad said that to me, it just like, it just hit me so hard. And it hurt. The fact that my dad thought that about me was devastating. And that just kind of became part of me. That I believe, well, this is what my dad thinks. I guess that's what I am. And so this addiction just kind of like, it just kept rolling. I didn't get better, I just got better at hiding it. And, uh, and honestly, my parents probably to this day think that that was it, that it was done right then. Um, it took about 10 more years to get over it. But then once I got into high school, it kind of escalated. You get into high school, you get a car, you get a little bit more freedom, curfew. Um, and what quickly went from what was just like an online problem became an in-person problem. And, and, and I don't use this term lightly, and I, I mean it in, like, it's, it's true, like, I... I I got caught in a sex addiction where it consumed my thoughts every day. Like my driving ambition was who's next? How can I get my way? And then as things do in high school, um, even though, like, I never told my friends what was going on, never told my parents, um, you know, kind of rumors started to spread. Some of them were, like, pretty crazy, like, totally blown out of proportion, not true things that had, you know, fragments of truth in it, but in high school, that doesn't matter. And so I would walk around the halls and just feel, like, totally alienated from um, my peers, Somehow I had this group of friends that they never even asked me about it. They, like, we were, we were great friends all the way through. I should probably follow up with them and see, like, did you know about this or, or what? Because it felt like everybody else knew. And it felt like every day someone was like, oh, is this true about you? And, and like, people would call me names. Probably the, the one that stands out the most is like people would be like, oh, Jordan's just a man whore. And then what happened, again, just like with my dad, I didn't necessarily think, well, I guess I am just a man whore. But I felt so trapped. I felt like, well, this, this must just be who I am. And I, I, I felt like I had no escape and even though, again, totally believed in God, um, had some concept that maybe he loved me and would beg him to fix me. But my like, cries for repentance looked like, God, I'm disgusting. I'm so broken. 
Like, how do you even stand looking at me? Like, I'm never going to get better. And I, and I just kind of got caught in this cycle. And I really believe this is just how I am. And I believed it because, well, this is what I did yesterday, so that's what I'm going to do tomorrow, and this is what everybody else thinks of me. And I took those things and I internalized them. Because the interesting thing is that we actually, we will live what we believe about ourselves. Without knowing it, I was living what others and I believed about myself. And even though it wasn't necessarily like a conscious choice, I, I think this is what the Bible calls a stronghold. I was reinforcing strongholds by making these declarations over my life. I'm never going to get better. I'm stuck. There is no hope for me. And then I go to college, still dealing with all of this, and it just gets magnified. Even more freedom. I'm in another town. I was from Dayton. Now I'm living in Cincinnati. Don't have to ask my parents if I can go out. Like, got a job paying for my own gas. Like, you know, I can basically do whatever I want. And it just got worse. But then to go back to the other side of the story, um, I felt called to be a pastor in the middle of all of this. Like, as an 18-year-old who had no idea what he wanted to do, um, I was about to just give up and live at home for a year. I went and visited this college called Cincinnati Christian University. And um, at the time, I didn't believe in this. But um, the only way that I could describe it was as I got there, I opened my door and I got out of my car and looked at this campus. I felt the peace of God come over me. And, like, as soon as I saw the campus, I was like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. So thank God that somehow in the middle of all that, I had the, some connection to be like, oh, okay, I can follow God's plan for my life. Um, and so I'm going, uh, I'm going to pastor school, and I've got this like huge dark secret in my life that none of my friends or family know about. Um, they had to be suspicious about where I was disappearing to, but nobody ever asked any questions. <clears throat> and, uh, and something pretty dramatic happened in uh, my first semester of college. So I come from a background that um, isn't into worshiping how we just did. Uh, it's, it looks a lot more like hands in the pockets. Are we over? Are we done yet? Um, kind of thing. So like, like I, I come from this church that just doesn't really believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Or if, they don't, or if they do, they don't talk about it. I got to college not knowing I didn't believe in it until someone there told me I didn't believe in it. Because at my college, they were very against the gift of the Spirit. And, um, and so I just, you know, preached the party lines. Like, yeah, gifts are dead. Apostles died. So did the Holy Spirit, I guess. And, uh, yeah. But then something happened. I read the Bible. And that was crazy. Someone, I, I met this charismatic person. <laughs> That's what we called them, charismatics. And they were icky. And they, uh, this person was like, well, why don't you believe in this? And I was like, honestly, I don't really know, but don't tell anybody that. And, uh, <laughs> and so they're like, just read 1 Corinthians 12. I was like, okay, fine. And I read it, and I was not good at reading the Bible in high school. Still not super great at it. I'm not good at, like, memorizing and remembering and retaining things. So sometimes it feels like it's the first time reading everything, which is kind of cool. Um, <laughs> but I read 1 Corinthians 12 for the first time, and... I have this huge mix of emotions. I'm like super excited that the Bible talks about this God that wants to interact with us and, and us to interact with each other on his behalf and, and that the supernatural stuff is happening in this church. Um, back in the day, 
And so, like, that's super exciting. But then I'm kind of, like, angry because I'm like, well, if it's in the Bible, why aren't we doing it? And why hasn't anybody ever told me about it? And, and like, that, this seems like kind of a, a big part of it. Um, and so I kind of went on this journey of just, uh, just trying to get answers. And I asked a bunch of professors. I asked a bunch of uh, older kids. I asked some of my old pastors, like, so what's the deal with this 1 Corinthians 12 passage? And they kind of were all like, eh, I don't know. Um, and they'd kind of point to these, like, really weak arguments um, that just didn't make any sense. And, and ultimately, I was like, okay, like, ah, you're, you're wrong. Like, it, have you read the book? Um, I know you've studied this for 30 years, but, like, I... No disrespect, but you seem to be missing something. Um, and, and so I became convinced that, like, okay, this stuff must be happening. But I'm in the middle of, like, cessationist headquarters and don't even know where to go. Um, but luckily there was, like, this, like, secret underground group of charismatic kids um, <laughs> Which was cool. But I'm, so I'm going through this first semester of college, and I go home on like a fall break, and I'm having lunch with this guy that used to be my youth pastor, but he had like only been my youth pastor for like a year, and then they moved him to somewhere else in the church, and he did something else. It, I came from a really big, like 5,000-person church. Um, you guys come from a big church. You get it. There's thousands of lots of staff people right so they all just get shuffled around and I, and I knew him I liked him his name is Ryan and uh, so I'm going to lunch with Ryan and like four or five other students and they were all pretty much older than me kids that I remember like when I was in middle school you volunteered with the middle school like as a high schooler and one of the girls was a missionary and I remember I'm sitting there eating my subway sandwich and just like just kind of picking up conversation because I'm an eavesdropper um I hear this girl say, I speak in tongues all the time. I was kind of like, what? <laughs> and nobody else, like, dropped their lunch or anything. So, like, wasn't, like, must not have been too crazy an idea. So everybody kind of leaves. I, I wait till the end of the lunch, and I grab Ryan as he's about to, like, go to his car. And I was like, okay, let's talk about this tongues thing, because that's new. And don't, we went to the same church, and... I've never heard anything about it, but you didn't freak out, so spill the beans. Um, sorry, it's 2019. Spill the tea. <laughs> I work with 15-year-olds. Um, and so we started talking right there, and I, I find out uh, he actually believes in all this stuff. I was like, well, that would have been nice to know a couple years ago. And... Um, I've got like a million questions for him. And so finally he's like, look, I have to get home. Um, my wife probably thinks I'm missing. Um, why don't you just come over tomorrow morning and um, we'll just pray. I was like, okay, that's cool. That's weird, but that's okay. And, and so, but okay, you're like laughing, but this guy's like insane. He gets up every morning at like 6 a.m. and he prays for like an hour to an hour and a half. right. I wish. And so I, I get to this guy's house, and um, he's like, okay, we're going to pray. And then he just starts praying out loud. We don't do that where I'm from. He just pray out loud. What are you doing? And, and so he just starts praying out loud, and then once in a while, he'd kind of pause, and he'd kind of look at me, and I'd just like kind of sit and smile <laughs> at him. And, uh, and then after like 20 minutes, I realized, oh, I think I'm supposed to pray too. And so, like, you know, we pray, and he prayed way more, and I prayed a little bit, and we, it, it's like an hour and a half, and we end, and I was like, okay, that was really cool, like, you know, good. And he looks at me, and he says, hey, this is so weird. Does this Bible verse mean anything to you? And he pulls up this just some, like, random passage, and I read it, and I was like, No. Like, this has zero meaning to me at all. Like, what, 
where did this even come from? And he was like, okay, you know, whatever. And no joke, not five minutes later, he gets a text message and like his face lights up. And he's like, Jordan, read this. And some other psychopath that gets up at 6 a.m. to pray (laughs) texted him and said, hey, random question, does this verse mean anything to you? And it's the exact same freaking verse. And the second time, it still didn't mean anything to me. But here's the thing. I was blown away because this is no like John 3.16. This is like some minor prophet B-side of the Bible. You've got like, I could read you the book right now and you'd be like, are you sure that's in there? It's like Habakkuk or something. Like just like so, like it is not on the memory verse chart. And... And I was, like, blown away. I was like, okay, it doesn't mean anything to me, but, like, okay, something just happened. Like, are you guys doing a study on this or something? No, we're not. Like, this is, like, God just spoke this. And I was like, okay. And today, I really wish that I had been like, let me write that down. Because um, this story would be, like, way cooler if it was, like, significant now. But I have no idea what the verse was. Still, like, no clue. Um, but I go back to school, and I'm like, I'm hungry. Like, I, like, I need to see this. Like, what is happening? And so... I started getting up at like 6.30 um, to pray for like 30 minutes around campus. And I would get up and I would walk and it was like winter time in Cincinnati so often it was freezing and I was like, God, you know I'm committed. And, um, and I would walk around and I would ask like, okay God, if tongues are real, show me. And then I'd stand like this And that's not, like, that's not hyperbolic at all. That is the truth. I would stand, there's this beautiful view of Cincinnati, just with my mouth wide open, waiting. And then... Now, keep in mind that first part of my story... This is all happening, all the good, like, hunger for God stuff is happening simultaneously with this, like, secret dark life and, like, with next to no breakthrough. I mean, like, yeah, I was getting up early to pray, and then I was leaving class early to go meet up with a girl. Like, you know, it was, like, it doesn't make sense. I have no idea how that works, but there's just this, like, inner conflict and struggle that was just, like, tearing me apart. And one morning while I was walking and I was praying and I, um, the night before, you know, same old story, same old mistake, um, I got up and I, I was walking and I was praying and I was just like so desperate to hear from God. And, and I was like, God, if you are real and if you are speaking to people today, then I need to hear from you right now. And like in that moment, in my mind, I saw Psalm 139. And while now it's like my favorite psalm and probably the only one I know, I knew zero psalms then. Um, I had no idea what this was. And so I pull out my iPhone 4, and um, which was old then, and so, like, it was being super slow, and it's freezing cold, so my thumbs aren't working, and I'm just trying to open the stupid Bible app, and it's, like, snowing, and 6.45 a.m. in Cincinnati, and I'm just trying to get to my dorm, trying to hear from God, trying to stop sleeping, and, like, just, like, life just sucks, and my Bible app's not working, and um, so I just keep praying, almost in frustration, and I started to say things like, God, you know everything about me. God, you know everywhere I go. You know every word I say. And if you know anything about Psalm 139, that's almost exactly what it says. And as, like, no joke, as as the book opened on my Bible app, the exact words I was saying were the same words, exact translation on the page. And as, like, as that, like, I just started to weep. 
Because for the first time in my life, I felt like there's a God that like really knows me. And he really cares about me. And one of those lines says, how precious are your thoughts for me, O God? I can't even number them. They outnumber the grains of sand on the earth. And for the first time, I thought, God believes in me. He believes good things for me. And it says, I knit you together in, in your mother's womb. And I thought, God actually cares. And that was a huge turning point. And, and, and from there, um, I just started to press in more. I met this guy named Luke, and uh, he had started this young adult group called House Group in Cincinnati. And I started going to this house group, and Luke and I were meeting weekly, and Luke was the first person to teach me about identity. And Luke has this really fun way of, like, turning everything you believe upside down. And so one day we're having lunch, and he said, Jordan, what if I told you you were righteous? I said, um, are you going to hell? What are you talking, we're not righteous, Jesus is righteous. And he said, well, yeah, it's Jesus that makes you right. And he started to teach me about identity and teach me, like, what God actually believed about me that was t in total contradiction to what I thought God believed about me. And things kind of started to change in my life. And then I met this uh, incredible woman named Holly. She's right there. So, spoiler, we get married. Um, <laughs> And she was my best friend for a while, and then we started to date, and um, the really great thing about meeting an amazing woman is that kind of like, that kills the sex addiction side. Like, we started dating, and it was like, okay, I have to be better, because I'm going to marry this woman. Like, she's incredible. And, and this, so this whole time, I'm like, the, just kind of a side note, this weird thing that was going on in my head as like, I was like, sleeping around almost every night of my life. It was in my mind, like, okay, but, like, I'm going to date a girl, and we're not going to have sex before marriage, and, like, so, like, that's going to, I'm still going to fight for that, but, like, right now, I'm going to mess up my life totally, um, and, and I met this girl, and I was like, that's it, I'm done, um, and so that was great, that cut that off, but the porn kept going, and, um, and, and our relationship progresses, and we get engaged, and we're a couple months away from getting married, and we're both leaders in this house group. And um, we're driving home one night, and it's really great to say hard things in conversation while you're driving, because you don't have to look at the other person, because you're trying to save our lives here. Um, and so I'm driving, and I'm like, Holly, I have to tell you something. And, uh, and she looks at me, and she's like, okay, what is it? And I was like, I feel like I've just been lying to you our whole relationship. Because at this point, she didn't know. She had no clue. And, and I was like, honestly, like, I feel like I've tricked you. I feel like you don't, you don't know me because of this, like, thing that's just so big and hiding in my life. And I said, and I told her, like, you know, I've been addicted to porn since I was 10, and like I still like I'm, I'm still stuck, still struggling right now. And I'm like crying, and I'm like trying to like take it like trying to read the room, but like also it's Cincinnati, so there's construction all over the place. And and I said this. I said, I understand if you don't want to marry me. And I just kind of like braced myself. And then, as best she could, looked at me, while I was trying to look at her in the road. She said, Jordan, I'm so sad that you would think that anything you could do would make me love you less. I know, right? That's how you know. And she said, I forgive you. She said, thank you for telling me. She said, we're going to fight for freedom together. <laughs> and I'll be honest, it wasn't like that night. It was 
I don't know, maybe another year. But eventually, finally, I found the freedom I was looking for. And the crazy thing about my story is that, especially in that beginning part and, and, and into basically when I was 20, I went everywhere and to everyone for my identity except for the one person who could actually give it to me. I was looking in all the wrong places, believing all the wrong people. And the crazy thing is, is the, this whole time, all I had to do was open this book and, 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 and experience and read just the many amazing things that God says about you. One of the things, like this was like the rock that I, I clung to that just really helped me in realizing that, that my past is actually gone. Because that was the whole, that was like my belief system. Like, well, this is what I did yesterday, so this is what I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm stuck. And that became like rooted in me. That was a stronghold in my mind. There's nothing I can do. This is just my pattern. This is my history. This is who I am. And the, 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 this passage showed me the old Jordan is dead, and Jesus has actually created something new. And there are so many passages that talk about this, but this one, like, this is just the one. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. There's another passage in Scripture in Galatians 2, 20, where it actually says that we've actually been crucified with Christ and our old selves are dead. Like he's totally obliterated it. But it seems like so often, if you're like me, and I, I think some of us probably are, um, we define ourselves by our past, right? And, and what we do is we have, okay, this is the me of yesterday, and we put it in front of us and say, okay, so that's just who I'm going to be. But in reality, Jesus takes that you, literally murders it, throws it away, puts his arm around you and says, I, def I don't define you by your past. I define you by your future. You're my son. Like back at the beginning of this talk, Ephesians 1.4, before I took on any of those identities, any of the identities people threw on me, any of the identities that I believed about myself and took on and, and, and built up these strongholds, before any of that, God called me his son. And so, um, as I just look at my life, there are a few things that I feel like the Lord has kind of taught me through it. And, and what I see is this kind of process of freedom that he kind of walked me through. And uh, I just want to share that. I, I see kind of like three major steps that, if you can, have steps to these kind of things. I, I think three, three keys that will help you get freedom in your life and help you be everything God called you to be. Let me get to this. Bible verse, here we go. Okay, first thing. This, I think, is maybe the, the newest thing that I've learned. I also think it's the most impactful. That other than, like, Jesus dying on the cross for my, my sins, like, this passage from 1 John has, like, blown my mind and, like, led me into more freedom than I've ever experienced in my entire life. Um, so step one is live in the light. In 1 John um, chapter 1, uh, verse 5 through 7, it says this. This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. I used to read this passage and like, be like, okay, I'm done reading 1 John. That's hard. I don't want anything to do with that. How can you live in the light? I have sin in my life. And, and what I thought was like an impossible standard was actually just the Holy Spirit convicting me um, of like a need to live in the light in my life. And, and so what this verse is talking about is, is it's talking about doing away with the, the secret sin in our lives. If, um, if there is something like that going on in your life, um, it needs to come out. 
And, and, and here's the thing. There are these lies, the soundtrack that plays in our head that says, oh, you can't tell anybody about that. They'll never accept you again. They'll never talk to you. You, you can't come back to... Um, can't come back to church once they find out about that. You can't be part of the small group anymore. They'll, they'll look at you differently. And, and we, like, there's this soundtrack that's playing in our mind because the enemy wants you to stay in darkness. He's lying to you because freedom happens in the light. And it can't happen outside of it. And so that's why if you're like me and you know every time you messed up, you made the promise, I'll never do it again. Send me to Tanzania and I'll be a missionary for you. Just take this thing from me. Fix me. But then like 24 hours later, a week later, a month, like here you are messing up again, doing the same thing because we're not living in the light about it. And so that's why it says when we live in the light as he is in the light, we, then we have fellowship with each other. There's a component of community that must take place for freedom, sustaining freedom to happen in our lives. It's because we take this thing that is overwhelming us on our own, but we convince ourselves, no, I can fight it, I can get better, I can willpower through it. And, and it takes it, and it throws it out in front of the group and says, all right, we're all going to fight it together. And now I'm not saying that, like, tomorrow morning you need to get up here and just, like, just like vomit all of your dark secrets all over the room. And, and I mean, you can if, like, if you feel like it. And if, I mean, you'll have to fight Clay for the microphone. But, um, but what I am saying is like, you need to find like, a trusted leader, a trusted friend, someone who's like, fighting for the same things you are, someone who believes the same things, who's fighting for the same kind of freedom and wants lasting freedom for you. Um, you need to go to them, and you need to tell them what's going on. Because then, like, in the light, you can fight it together. And ultimately, it wasn't until Holly knew and until Luke knew and until some other people in my life knew that, like, we surrounded that sucker and got me out. In the light is where lasting, sustainable freedom comes from. The second thing, believe what God says about you. I think for so long, I would, I would read these incredible things that the Bible said and claims that it made about people. Like, oh, that was for them, though. That, like, not me. I'm not a new creation. I'm not a saint. But here's the thing. You are. And so I had that that soundtrack of lies, the, Jordan, you're never going to change. Well, the Bible says you're a new creation. You've been changed, completely new. And I don't think it's a one-time change either. I think he is willing to make you new as many times as you need to. You don't get one do-over. The, this one played so much. I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner. I don't deserve to even eat the scraps off the table of heaven, like I'll just like scooch in and hopefully God doesn't see me in the back corner. It's really crazy. Every letter that Paul writes starts with to the saints in so-and-so. And I'm, I'm like the furthest thing from a Greek scholar, but what I do understand is that the word saint means holy one. And like, and that, that word, the Greek word for saint, which I'm not even going to try to say, is the same word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit. And so Paul calls everyone, every church of, of Jesus Christ, he calls them all saints. Not just the churches that he's saying, hey, you're doing a great job. The churches that are, he's like, hey, I heard one of you sleeping with your stepmom. Like, but you're still a saint. Like, you are a saint. Another one, I'll never be a person of significance. Another one of my favorite passages, again, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, um, you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That's an important job. 
I don't know if you know what ambassadors are doing, but it's like, it's a pretty high position. Even, like, it's a big deal. Like, not just anybody gets to be an ambassador, but you do. Like, you represent the kingdom of God on earth, and God is making his appeal to all of creation through you. How much more significance do you want? And then the last one, I'm a mistake. I dealt with this so much. I I didn't tell you this, but my mom was 17 when I was born. So like literally by definition, I was a mistake. But then you start to read things in the Bible that says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You were knit together by the steady hands of a creator that loves you so much that even before the foundations of the world decided he was going to adopt you and that brought him great pleasure. So good. We have to start believing this stuff about us. I spent so much time believing these lies over myself that others spoke, that I spoke, and they just like became these internal values that I lived my life by. We have to change those. They have to start lining up with what Jesus says about you. And the third thing, third process, third step, whatever, is to actually be what God has called you. We have to believe it, but then we have to be it. Every identity, good or bad, every identity we take on comes with an assignment. Because ultimately, that's what an identity is. An identity is is who you are and what you do. And so in high school, high school Jordan, he just killed the assignment of man whore. He did a marvelous job. He walked it out. But now I get to spend the rest of my life walking out all the assignments that God's new identities on me have. A couple couple of those identities in in Matthew chapter 5. Sermon on the Mount, famous, famous passage. Killing time till I can get there. Here we are. He says this, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp, then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. That's an identity, light of the world. You are the light of the world. He didn't save you just so you could like feel good. And, like, and it's definitely a perk. Like, we all get healthier, and we all start to believe good things about ourselves. But ultimately, like, he saved you so that you could help save others. And he saved you so you could help change the world. So, like, he, he didn't make you the light of the world so you could sit in your room and play a bunch of Fortnite and, like, never go out and preach the gospel. Like, we are called to change the world. We have to, because if not us, who else? I don't know about you, who's in college here? Is everybody in college here? Like, I want to see college campuses that look like what this worship set just looked like a little bit ago. Right? I want to see, like, workplaces where people are, like, trying to come in, but they have to lay on the floor for 20 minutes in the presence first. Another one, he says, you are an ambassador of Christ. God's making his appeal to the earth through you. Like, he's given us identities with hefty assignments on them, and we have to be them. Let's do some ministry. Yeah, Father, just thank you. Thank you for this group of uh, world changers, leaders, pace setters.
Yeah, just as I'm praying, I just feel like there's an assignment on the room to just lead the way. That like this is a very significant group of people who are here. And that the things that God is doing in you this weekend, um, they're going to push some things forward. Father, thank you for this group of leaders. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. And we pray that this has helped stir and awaken you to live alive to God like never before. If you want to connect with us, let's go. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram.